being a BRG leader should be seen as something special and awesome. And, you know, because you're a talent and because you are a, a top performer, you get the opportunity to learn and be in this, this, this environment and you'll get a lot of return on investment. Anyone who's a BRG leader is going to be the first to be invited to certain development opportunities. That's Lori Valley Yanez, Chief Diversity Officer at Mass Mutual. At Mass Mutual, core values include balance, growth, authenticity, conviction, and stewardship. Lori is my guest for this episode of ERG Power Talk. This is ERG Power Talk, and I'm your host, Joe Santana. The purpose of ERG Power Talk is to provide a forum for the exchange of great ideas and inspiration for ERG leaders, as well as others that are interested in supporting ERGs. No more waiting until the next conference and praying that you have the budget to travel to the conference in order to find great ideas and find stimulation toward action. Just subscribe and listen at your convenience. Before we begin, a quick note of thanks to our supporters and sponsors, Atrium Health, Fredert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. Now, let's go straight to the program. Hi, Lori. Thanks for joining me today. So, let's, let's begin with this then. So, I did a little bit of research into you as I do into all my guests, and one of the things that I came across that I thought was interesting is that you said your diversity training began at birth. Yes. So uh, since then, you've had some time and some uh, experience in the DNI space, uh, up to your current uh, role in Mass Mutual. So to start off, what I wanted to get from you is sort of a synopsis of the journey that got you from that introduction to DNI at birth all the way to where you are right now. I think that I never really realized how much, you know, my life experience would be very helpful in this space. I think back then I entered the field when it was relatively new, you know, I'm going to date myself, but I mean, uh, it's been a while. I actually went to go work for an executive who had been hired to fix the issues that we were having in the company I was in. And it was really the first executive that they had appointed and I was invited to join him. I had no, we didn't even call it diversity back then, you know, it was, uh, the name of our department was the Employment Equity and Compliance Programs, and there was a little bit of the AAEO stuff, but it was really about, you know, how do we be pro, how can we be proactive to create the right culture, bring in the right people so that we would make a dent in our diversity. You can imagine the organization was uh, science and scientific, you know, engineers, scientists, etc. It had some international diversity, but it wasn't as diverse as, as it could be. But I think I realized as I started getting into work, we, we actually didn't even know what we were going to do. We, we were going to do. It was, you know, we were making it up as we go along. And I actually, it was building the building blocks that would become my career because it was you know, we have to figure it out. Coming into an organization, how do we figure this out? How do we get things done? What are the things we have to do? I realized that all of my experience from growing up as, uh, you know, the daughter of immigrants that came into the country, my father was from the Philippines and my mother was from Nicaragua. 
they met in San Francisco, um, had me. Uh, I go look back in those days, and I remember just some of the challenges that they had as an interracial sort of couple. The marriage didn't last. My mother ended up bringing me from California to Hawaii. So I grew up in Hawaii from the age of two to uh, 22. I was in Hawaii. And so, and everyone there, I mean, I think that's like an incubator of, of diversity, you know? And I think also, I would say the first lessons around inclusion were really the culture in Hawaii, you know, sort of the, the, the aloha spirit and very welcoming and things like that. So, and everybody looked like me. So I didn't realize I became a minority when I moved back to California, um, which was interesting. My mother remarried, had a stepfather that was white. So all of that, I think, you know, having to go through culture shock, realizing that I was different and trying to adapt, all of those things really helped me to be in the career that I was in. But when I got to the, I mean, it was something that was chosen for me. I didn't choose it. You know, to be honest with you, I was invited. It's funny. It's a funny story. I was invited to join the executive that was put in charge of building something that would create a better culture and that we would bring in people who from different backgrounds. This is back in 1989, you know, and he said, you know, would you like to join me? I had met this person socially you know, out in the world. And, and so he invited me. He was a scientist at the lab. He was a chemical engineer who was put into that role. And he said, would you like to join me? And I said, well, what are we going to be doing? He said, I have no idea. And I thought, oh, he invited me to join him because, you know, um, he must have gotten word that I was really good. And it's true. I really had, I had this reputation of being really good, a hard worker, all of those things. But it was because I was the only woman of color working in that organization, which was the director's office, the highest senior office in the, the company. And um, he's like, yeah, no, you were the only woman of color. <laughs> 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 oh, okay. <laughs> so that's the story of how I joined him. But I, you know, I figured he, he thought that I would probably have a better understanding of the work that we were trying to do or what we were trying to accomplish. But that, that was a kind of an interesting start to my career. I, I got to be mentored by somebody, by the way, neither one of us, he didn't really know what we were doing. We were just sort of figuring it out, working in a, you know, Department of Energy uh, funded organization, you know, managed by the University of California. And imagine all of the things, all the hoops you had to jump through to get things done, especially things that had never been done before. We were doing all kinds of crazy things, you know, and um, and it was fun. But that was the beginning of my career. But a lot, I think everything, as you said, as I, my growing up the way that I did, there was a lot of experience behind that that actually came to play. And actually my personal experiences of even, you know, experiencing what it's like to be an outsider and sometimes even in my own family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's truly that's truly a great story. I'm thinking that you probably have the most time and experience in this area just by virtue of having had that that sort of experience growing up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you were immersed. You were immersed. So instead of learning from the outside in by exploring the topic and so forth, you almost learned it from the inside out. Absolutely, uh, that's true 
which is a different, a different approach altogether. But that's a, that's a great story. So let me ask you this. I know that you guys have a lot of, uh, of resource groups. Uh, in your case, you call them business resource groups or yeah. BRGs. I think there are about nine of them, if I recall correctly. And uh, they're, these guys are really deeply rooted as a part of your work and building an inclusive workplace. Tell me how important these groups are to your success and why you deem them to be so important. Well, I think that from the very beginning, we sort of saw them as our, you know, gra- there are grassroots leaders, you know, as you're thinking about the work of diversity and inclusion, at least the way that I had approached it. I was working going from the top down, you know, but you also need folks that are out there working it from the bottom up. And, and, um, and especially in an organization that was striving to become more diverse, you know, you wanted to make sure you're bringing folks together where they could find community. Uh, and I would say early on, it was really about engagement, you know, but how do we bring the, the folks that we do have, how do we keep them, you know, and make sure that they're engaged? So I think that they're critical and they, they continue to become more critical, but it's very much an evolution. You think about, you know, the maturity model around employee resource groups and business resource groups. All groups start in affinity. And so our groups were no different. And in fact, two of our resource groups started before I started the company. So I joined the company to build a strategy in, um, oh my gosh, 2008, uh, the middle of 2008, and two business resource groups, or they were employee resource groups at the time, had already formed. Well, they were floundering a bit, right? Because they, you know, you, I think it makes more sense to build the strategy first and then make sure that they are then aligned with the strategy. So I actually put a stop and said, we're not going to have any more until we get the strategy built, and then we can now help them have direction on what they should do. I think the alignment is very important. I would say, you know, critical from an engagement perspective, and then as the years went by, we realized that the engagement piece was table stakes. You know, you want the groups to, at, at minimum, as foundational, that they create their communities for their folks. But how do we get them to move beyond that and become really beneficial to the business? As you think about, you know, the economy and companies, you know, crunching the numbers and trying to make sure that we're being very efficient with our dollars, you know, we wanted to make sure that our, our BRGs could be sustained over time. And in order for that to do that, you know, they have to add some value to the business. And so it's been an evolution. But I would say that they are critical. They are, if you think about diversity and inclusion teams, we're always small and it takes a village, right? So you need to have your champions in the organization from a leadership perspective, but you also have to have your champions from the employee perspective. And that's, I see the BRGs are, as being critical to that, as being our, uh, as I said, grassroots warriors on the ground around diversity and inclusion. And they have done amazing things. I think about where we are today with some of our efforts. I think that they have really helped us to grow as an organization. And they've been many hands, you know? It's like, you yeah. know, say, we're, we're making progress with lots of hands on our backs. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I always find is the balancing act that uh, 
that people in the in the DNI space have to perform with BRGs. You have a uh, you have a situation where you have people that are passionate, and then you're in a business that has certain needs, and you almost have to find where those it's, it's almost like a Venn diagram where you mm-hmm. have to find where those passions intersect with the needs of the business, with the resources that the people who are members have and the leaders of that BRG have. How do you guys go about doing that in terms of harnessing that passion that the BRG members have, balancing it against a little bit of the needs of their managers, and at the same time, finding those areas of the business where you can take that harness passion and point it in that direction, uh, where all those things kind of like synthesize together to produce results. Well, that's that's the challenge, right? Because you've got a lot of passionate people. I think the challenge is to how can we get our, our BRG leaders to be just as passionate about the company as they are about the, their own groups? You know, that is a challenge. And I remember early on having a conversation with somebody who said, our folks don't care about the company. And I said, that's a bad thing because... <laughs> I, I said, just even from a leadership perspective, I don't know anyone who's been successful in their career who didn't care about the company that they were working in. Right. So we've got to find a way to shift that mindset around the importance to the business and, and get, and it's been, like I said, it's been an evolution for us, you know, to set them on a path to think that way, you know, really while not getting too far away to where they feel like we're not caring about them as individuals anymore and their community. So it's definitely a, a balance, but we have been nudging them along the way. And some, you know, follow faster than others, you know, and, and, and move in that direction. That balancing act is really important. What about the managers of the BRG leaders? They're certainly an important part of this process as well. How do you keep them engaged? Over the years, we've tried a lot of different things. We used to meet one-on-one with managers, each of the BRG leaders. And now we're thinking that there's power in the community. And so, you know, thank you for coming and helping us have our first gathering of all of our managers together because that's going to make a difference because we know that they can learn from each other um, and do better that way, you know, and be influenced um, by each other. So, so uh, we, that's been an evolution as well. The work that we do around diversity and inclusion has been really around how do you get our leaders to engage? We measure it, you know, it's some of our measures around that. And so there's also, it's becoming more of a, a, a pull strategy and a push strategy. So you've got leaders saying, I want to be supportive because I know that that's, it's important to the company and diversity is important to the company and it makes us better. So, you know, we're going to lean in, we're going to join BRGs, we're going to, um, you know, really be enthusiastic supporters of our team or of our members that want to be leaders in the BRGs. But that has been an evolution. So it's not like, yeah. not like it started out that way. And, and it's not like we're completely to the other side either, right? We're still working on that. There's always challenges around the business needs, the capacity situation, you know, how a person can actually 
do really well in their in their job in their day job and then also on top of that take on the role of a brg leader how do you find that happy medium so it's something that we pay attention to we try to stay close to we have conversations with the leaders as well as managers as well as the business partners uh, hr business partners really usually have a pulse on how things are going you know we don't want we never want the situation where a brg leader ends up failing because they're not paying attention to their day job. I think we're getting to a place where being a BRG leader should be seen as something special and awesome. And, you know, because you're a talent and because you are uh, a top performer, you get the opportunity to learn and be in this, this, this environment. And you'll get a lot of return on investment. Making it all work together is definitely uh, a multi-pronged approach, if you will. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? One of the things that I wanted to also add is, and you pointed to that, is that it's a journey mm-hmm. of many parts that are constantly changing and moving. So the business changes direction, the demands that people have in their day jobs may fluctuate somewhat mm-hmm. also. Uh, the passions of the group, depending on members that come in and members that go out. So it's not like you reach sort of like this state and you say, okay, now we're there and this is steady state. But rather that the group, as well as the office of DNI and all the other leaders, have to constantly be adjusting to different things that are happening in the environment. So I think that's sort of the continuous journey that's true of many things in life, that's true of, of BRGs as well. Here's another question I have for you in terms of, of, of your groups. You mentioned that you had two groups uh, before you came in. When you came in, they were already there. And then you formed the other groups. And I think, as I recall before, it was like about nine groups or so seven more groups that formed later. How do you form these groups? How does that work? There is a process, but I will tell you at Mass Mutual, we're never going to have 20 BRGs. You know, some organizations have... <laughs> as many BRGs as people say, I want to have BRGs. And I would tell you that there's already been a couple of proposed BRGs that did not get approved. You know what I mean? And so I think uh, there is a process. There is a proposal that, you know, usually starts with an individual saying, I think that we should have a BRG for such and such. And then we say, okay, well, do you know of others that are interested in, in having this BRG? You know, and so you, there's a, a, a series of questions that we ask them to think about and then come back to the table with, and it ultimately ends up as a proposal. The first folks to vet it and, and evaluate it is certainly me and my team. You know, so we take a look at it and say, does it make sense for us? Does it make sense for the company? You know, um, do we have the resources to support it? All of those things matter. And then it will go up to our executive leadership team. So our CEO and his direct reports, they, from the very beginning, have been really central to our diversity strategy. And they still want to be, you know, a part of that strategy. So, so they go, it goes up to them and, they, and then they will, I, by the time it goes up to them, I've already endorsed it. You know, I've already said, yes, I think this is a good idea. Now, they will talk and have a conversation and then they will decide. Usually they don't say no, but you, you, you'll, you'll get the sense that there's a lot of questions when they keep sending it back. Yep. You know, all right, this business case doesn't seem strong enough. Can you please help me understand? They've become very much aligned with this goal of evolving our BRGs, making them business 
relevant and, you know, and uh, making sure that they're adding business value. So if they don't see that, it's going to be very difficult. There's also been, we used to have, we have eight BRGs now. We used to have nine when we had a regional BRG, when we had an office out in Memphis. We decided it made sense for us at the time to have this BRG out in Memphis, and it was a multicultural BRG. But as time went on, it didn't make sense anymore. And, and then every place that we were at, people started saying, can we have a BRG here? Can we have a BRG there? You know, and our, and our business leaders were like, ah, you know. That yeah. <laughs> so, so we changed it. So there, there, we also are always evaluating, right? Does this make sense? So there is a process. It is a collaborative process. It is a leadership decision at the end of the day whether or not it makes sense. And like I said, they very rarely will say no, but you're like, okay, you know, they're, they're going to ask a lot of questions as they should. And, um, and we've had a couple proposed BRGs that did not get through our, our process. Interesting process because you actually have your senior management involved in making that thumbs up, thumbs down decision about, about BRGs. And you see, you know, we were talking earlier about the evolution. That's the other thing that's happened, not just the evolution of our BRGs, but the evolution of our company and their mindsets around BRGs. You know, early days, they were thinking they were clubs, you know? Yes. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and the idea of how, how can the BRGs add value? And, um, and so all of that has been shifting with time. And now, you know, our BRGs are very sought after in terms of we want to get their their opinion so much so that Kate is taking a uh, a weekly count of the business asks you know and then sort of trying to organize it and making sure that we're not overwhelming our BOGs. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a shift. Yeah. No, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. And clearly uh, your senior leaders wouldn't be as deeply involved if they thought these were clubs. So that, exactly. that, that really shows the degree to which they take this as something that's a serious component of the organization and of their success as an organization. Yes, absolutely. So let me, uh, let me ask you this. Clearly, seeing these BRGs as being a really important component of your, of your organization and with that level of attention, how are the leaders of these BRGs selected? I think that we've, we've kind of gone the gamut, right? So we started out where it was the passionate individual raising their hand and they would lead the group. Uh, they were elected. It was a popularity contest in many ways. Um, and then, you know, we started to move into the direction that, you know, you had to be appointed. We've sort of landed at the moment a little bit in the middle where half of our leadership team, uh, so the secretary and the treasurer are sort of um, the, the BRG leadership team, team themselves will be the ones to interview them and make the final recommendation of who gets those roles. But the chair and the vice chair roles are appointed positions. They are, and it's definitely a collaborative process with uh, our talent organization, very much so, um, with the leaders, you know, talking to leadership teams, our HR business partners, and then and DNI. And so we really do, and we've actually put 
individuals in a, a chair role, for example, that had never been a part of the BRG. That is really interesting, too, because you've had the BRGs themselves, you know, thinking about if it's a popularity contest, they're thinking, well, this person never really was involved, and we're like, yes, but this person <laughs> wants to be involved, and they're really seen as a strong leader in the company, and I think they can bring really great things to the team. So, so we're, we're at the hybrid at the moment, but the chair and the vice chair positions are appointed, and pretty much it's behind the scenes within HR and then the actual businesses that we're pulling those those individuals from that that determination. Yeah. Yep. Got it. <laughs> okay. But so let's talk about this. You mentioned before how these BRG groups and and I know you corrected me at some point. I thought there were nine, but you said there are now eight. That you used to have yes. nine. You now have uh, eight. You mentioned before how they drive value to mm-hmm. the business. Can you give me a couple of examples of how they've driven value to Mass Mutual, Lori? Okay, I will start with our pride group. It's probably our most active group. They really have uh, helped Mass Mutual to be on the forefront of LGBTQ equality and helped us to develop a reputation in that space. Part of that is, I'm going to be honest, the pride group is probably the group that has representation across the company. Does that make sense? So you've got members of the pride group that are in the law division. You've got members of the pride group in social media, members of the pride group, you know, and every, almost every place that is really is a difference maker for that group. So because of that, you could get things done easier. You've got folks that are, are, are advocates. We really have been at the forefront of public activism, I guess you would call it. I started to sign on to amicus briefs, have our, our company sign on to legislation or against legislation that was anti-LGBTQ, especially in areas where we're doing business. So there was a time back in North Carolina where they had a uh, something coming up that was going to impact the transgender community. And so our group sort of rallied and, and went to our leaders and said, we think that we should not, we should sign up as, as being against this particular legislation. We have commercials. We were on featured on Ellen DeGeneres show for a commercial that we did with gay couples, and it got a lot of attention. And so the the goodwill that we have in the gay community has really been uh, our our LGBTQ group. They're they're the ones at the forefront of that. We have strong relationships without an equal and human rights campaign as well, and we are you know constantly pushing the envelope around LGBTQ issues, so much so that we just recently had um, um, new uh, benefits, something called the chosen family, so that if you are taking leave, bereavement leave, for example, you know, it's not just your immediate family, it's whoever you choose, whoever you deem as your family, and and that wasn't necessarily specifically meant, uh, designed for the LGBT community, but it is something that has greatly benefited the LGBT community. And our folks have really put out that word to the public. And we've gotten a lot of press, good press on that, you know, but, and it's, it's, um, I would say that there probably aren't very few companies out there that do as well in the LGBT space as we do. Our ADAPT BRG, which is our uh, BRG for individuals with a disability, have made a big difference on our campus from, you know, accessibility, 
I mean, everything from, you know, we ramps and levers and disability-friendly restrooms, things like that. I mean, you know, we sort of things on our campus are so much more accessible and a lot of it has to do with their hard work and their partnership. They're working with us and working with the facilities folks and um, they just make it happen. So I would like to give them credit too. They're one of the BRGs too that we have done a couple of experiments with. Kind of experiments. We were trying to see if we would consider bringing our field agents, you know, to become members of our BRG, which is interesting because, you know, there's a, fi- there's a really solid line between employee, non-employee, right? And uh, these are employee groups. <clears throat> and these are our sales uh, financial advisors throughout the country. So we did an experiment with our um, ADAPT BRG, and we had selected about, there were 15 uh, or so uh, agencies across the country that are involved in our special care. It's our product that Mass Mutual sells. And so we thought, let's start with them because they're already advocates, you know, trying to support families that have children with disabilities. But <laughs> what we found out, though, is that the, the, the field agents were looking for sales. <laughs> and the, the resource group is looking for how can we build awareness out in the field? This will help you with your business. You know, you can, you know, learn this kind of thing. So there was definitely a disconnect. It's not, I, I don't think that our, our field agents are necessarily ready to have that conversation or, you know, but we tested it with the ADAPT BRG. and. And after about, you know, 18 months of a pilot, we decided to stop working out, but they were brave to step forward into that space and test it out and, and sort of work out the kinks as they were realizing that it's a little bit of a miss that the the agents didn't really understand their purpose. They got business resource groups. You're here to make, get us business. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I do think ultimately, and maybe we'll rethink that and go back to that at some point. If you can get the the folks from the field to come in with the right mindset, we might actually be able to get some business done. You know what I mean? I real, I think so. Um, Yeah. Maybe not ready for it. So the Adapt BRG is is a group that has done some pretty interesting things, and they were the ones we selected to do the pilot. Another that I would mention is our Passages BRG. That's our African American BRG. Um, they are probably the most aligned with our diversity and inclusion strategy, and they wanted they set out to help build cultural competence. So, like, what are we doing to help build cultural competence? They also wanted to, how do we address, you know, some of the challenging, uh, polarizing issues that were happening out in society, right? How do we make sure that our employees have a safe space to come to, to to express how they're feeling and not have to sit in silence and walk around a company where maybe people don't know how they're feeling about these things? So they created something they call Courageous Conversations, and they hosted back in 2016 the first sort of open forum. And again, you have to realize our industry and uh, our company, Our industry's insurance, by nature, kind of risk averse. And so to to have that happen, I I would say, was a big moment for Mass Mutual in a way, you know, to sort of just let's let's do it. Now, everyone was on board to make it happen, but it was really the Passages BRG that got that started. And they've made 
building cultural competence sort of the cornerstone of what they do. Um, and, and it's not just a one and done. They try to build tools. They try to keep the conversation going. So coming back and having touch points around the topics. And I would say that uh, they do a really, really nice job. So I, I'm very proud of the Passages BRG as well. I'm proud of all of them, but <laughs> just a couple of examples. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, those, those, are all, those were all solid, great examples. So let's stop here and take stock of where we are. So far, we've learned that at Mass Mutual, BRGs are an important component of many aspects of the business. Their impact and influence is clearly felt inside the company as well as in the outside world. Up next, we'll talk about Mass Mutual's secret sauce for their BRG success, as well as what they do to get and keep their BRG leaders up and running. All this and more when we return, but first, this. ERG Power Talk is made possible through the support and sponsorship of Atrium Health, Friedert Health and Medical College of Wisconsin, and Mass Mutual. These are companies that are leading the advancement of ERG practices way beyond the confines of their organizations. Thank you. Now back to our podcast. If you were to kind of dissect the different successes that you guys have had uh, with your BRGs, what do you think is the secret sauce? What do you think are the key ingredients that have made these BRGs successful for you? I would say the willingness to continue to evolve continue to understand what's important to the company. We're really focused on collaboration and intersectionality moving forward. We always, the strategy doesn't stay the same. It constantly evolves. And we're also, continuous improvement is at the core of our culture as well in the company. So the idea that however we used to do things, we know that we're going to do them differently in the future because we're going to find better ways to do them. And I would say that's part of our secret sauce as well as sort of the idea that we want to continue to raise the bar on ourselves as an organization, as, as, as a BRG community. We want to continue to do that, and, and we want them to be a part of that change, you know, be a part of that and be willing partners in that change. We don't want to force any, anybody to do anything. That becomes really challenging. Um, but we are nudging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> nudging along uh, to sort of move forward. Um, I think also part of what is making things successful is also the focus we've had on changing leader mindsets and behaviors. As I mentioned, without leadership involvement and leadership commitment, we wouldn't be getting anywhere. And I know that, as I mentioned, it's more of a, a pull strategy now where leaders are, are hungry for information. They're, they're, they want to make a difference. They want, they, they want diversity. They want inclusion. So they are reaching out and, and asking us and the BRGs and others to help them, you know, help us, help us get it right, which is good, right? So it's not like you're pushing things on them, but that's a fundamental change from the beginning. One of the things that you guys are, are doing that I really, I really think is, uh, is commendable and pretty interesting is that you do you do sort of experiment a little bit and you don't, it doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like people are punished if their experiment doesn't work. You sort of move on and you try something else, which I think is at the core of being innovative and being able to adapt 
to changing environments is having that spirit of let's 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 you know let's not over invest but let's invest a little bit in this experiment see how it works out and uh and if it does then we'll invest more in it and drive it more if it doesn't then we'll take it back to the drawing board and i think that i think that you kind of pass over that a little bit but i think that's part of your secret sauce too would you say yeah so so we i would say uh continuous i had continuous improvement that is the core of what we do and it was born out of how do we create more efficiencies for the company right that's how it started you know kind of how do we make sure that we're operating as efficient as possible how do we take redundancy out you know all of that it, it started from there and when you think about that, you know, also the risk taking really came out of that as well. It's sort of, you know, how do we, tr you know, make it safe for people? If you think about the cultural, that cultural element of risk aversion is something that, you know, if you were to look at our new competencies today, we have one called courage. You know, we have, you know, it's the idea that people are willing to kind of push against this status quo because, I think we have a, we have a CEO also that is very uh, he's always thinking about you know ten steps ahead and he's always thinking you know how do we become innovative in our space because it's not the other insurance companies that we have to worry about it's the Amazons and you know, those types of organizations that are you know, come after us if we don't change and if we're not really becoming more innovative ourselves so I'm very proud of the innovations coming out of our company it's been a journey too. I think that's part of the secret sauce too. Our company has been going through a cultural evolution for the last decade of which a DNI has been a, a big piece of that change. And, you know, how can we become more innovative as a company? It is, we have to make it safe for people to be able to make, make mistakes. Yep, absolutely. So let me ask you this, Lori, in your experience with various types of uh, of, of BRGs and ERGs and other groups like that here and before you were in this organization, what are some of the things that you would say are the things, the pitfalls that BRG, ERG leaders have to, you know, look out for and avoid in order to keep their ERG, BRGs on track? I think lack of alignment. I think that once it's a, a if BRGs can, I mean, we have to do it as DNI professionals, right? You have to find alignment in your organization. You know, how do we align with the goals of the company? I think the BRGs have to find that alignment as well, because uh, otherwise, I think it's very difficult to get the company to buy in to the value that the BRG brings. So the idea of we want to be aligned. We want to help the company grow. We want to help help the company become more successful. We want to be able to help the company again. Foundational is become the best place for people like me. You know. So how do we help with that building that type of culture? The other is really being more strategic. I think it's important to be very strategic. I think employee resource groups, in general, I think tend to want to do a lot of things. They have you talk about a lot of passion. You have a lot of passion, you know, a lot of people, they all have their ideas, their ideas are best. So everybody wants to do uh, a lot of things and they end up with a long laundry list of activities. And those activities don't necessarily translate into results or impact. And so thinking, how can we take the resources that we're given and maximize them and making sure that the things that we do have impact. 
It's not just a nice to have. It's not, you know, a one and done. So I think that's, that's an important thing. I think also not to be islands and, and sort of siloed. DRGs are very easily can become siloed. Uh, there's more power in the unity and the collaboration and working together. Uh, so being willing to cross the lines and, and work with other BRGs and work with other, you know, with the DNI people, with uh, the leadership and that type of thing, and not um, just be so inward focused, probably something I would say that they should not do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great point. Let me ask you this. Uh, in terms of when you get a new BRG leader, so suppose I became a brand new BRG leader at Mass Mutual, how would you bring me up the speed? What are some of the things that you guys do to get somebody like uh, a new leader to hit the ground running? Uh, we spend a lot of time with them individually. We also do orientation type of things. So we will have um, usually at the beginning, it's probably going to happen now sooner, the end of this year for all the new leaders. We'll have sort of a, a day-long session around the things that you need to know as BOG leaders, whether it's, you know, how to interact with the business. We'll have business people come in, like the folks from Community Responsibility will come in and talk about the partnership that they have and how they work with the BRGs. We teach them some of the the, uh, the tactical things. How do you invite visitors in? How do you, uh, you know, if you're going to have a speaker, what are the what are the, the protocols for that? And then we do a strate- strategy sessions with them. We help them build their business plans, looking at their business plans, you know, um, working again collaboratively to learn from each other, you know, doing presentations. I'll present their business plans. But a lot of that is, the things that we offer. And I think there's more that we could offer. Anyone who's a BRG leader is going to be the first to be invited to certain development opportunities. So our BRG leaders are invited to our leadership forum, for example, which is the top leaders of the entire company will get together on uh, a, like usually two to three times a year. And the BRG leaders are involved in that now. That was a level evolution, didn't start out that way. But uh, for the last year or two, two years, they've been invited to be a part of those think tanks in a way, you know, coming together to think about the issues that the leaders are grappling with in the company, again, helping them to develop their business acumen. So those are some of the things. I think there's always more that we could do. I'm excited to have Kate, for example, <laughs> because she could really focus on what are the things that they need to be best, the best that they can be. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, there was something that you, uh, that you, talked about before in terms of your you know your you had a brg i think it was a ninth brg that was designed to be situated in one of your one of your sites mm-hmm. and you know one of the things i wanted to ask you about is with the growing you know with with the growing number of telecommuters and with organizations like yours who have spread out into different areas where you might have a location where you only have a couple of employees and you might have other locations where you have huge campuses and so forth. What are you guys doing in terms of being able to include people that are remote to where your large mass group centers are to make sure that they also can participate in BRG uh, events and as members or maybe even as leaders? That has evolved as well. So just uh, 
I would say that the first thing we did with our BRGs is to get them thinking about how can they be inclusive across campus, right? So our BRGs, for example, do have liaisons in various campuses that connect to their BRG. So that is one way that we've been doing it historically. Um, however, my, our CEO made a commitment, recommitment to the state of Massachusetts. So we are becoming more centralized we were, you know, than ever before. So we don't have Memphis campus anymore. We don't have North Carolina campus anymore. Um, by and large, Mass Mutual will be centered in Springfield, and we're building out a big building out in Boston. So those are the two sites. So we're kind of, it's going to be a little bit easier <laughs> because people are coming in. But you're right, the remote, the, those that are remote work, it really is how do we make sure that we have the correct technology to reach out to folks and make sure that they're included in our events. If you come to any of our BRG events, you will find that they will have people dialing in from Phoenix because we have a Phoenix office. They'll be dialing in from Phoenix. They'll be dialing in from Boston. They'll be dialing in from wherever they are. If they're remote, they can dial in, making sure that they can see if the technology is working, <laughs> they can see and participate. We've gotten much better at that, but we are going to have a little bit easier time. And in fact, one of the challenges I have, and we're going to be brainstorming as a team, what do we do as we build out Boston around BRGs? Um, how do we make sure that our employees there are connected and engaged? And usually it might mean that, you know, you have a couple of leaders that are out there in Boston, you know, so to help with that connection. But it's a challenge that we still have to tackle. What we don't want to do is we're, we're not going to duplicate what we have at the home office. So we're not going to have eight duplicate BRGs yeah, that makes a lot of sense. On another note, how are you guys handling the increase in non-employee workforce members, people who are 1099s or temps? Are they also included in BRG activities? Yeah, I, I would say that's that's a challenge that we have as well. I would say that, you know, there's always somebody who is a contract worker who wants to attend BRG events and things like that. And, um, and it's still a challenge and we keep raising it every couple of years, you know, around, you know, how do we open it up? How we, how do we become more flexible? You know, we're trying to build an inclusive environment and that would include everybody. So, you know, from my perspective, why not? But then I understand some of the challenges around, especially if a, if an event is during work hours, things like that, that make it kind of complicated, but it, it's, it's, it's a challenge we're looking at as well. And we continue to look at. Let me ask you one last question. Okay. And that last question is this. Of all the experiences that you've now had with yeah. these groups, if you had one lesson that you've learned that you'd like to share with everyone, what would that be? I would say that ERGs can be challenging. However, I think, so you have to have a little patience um, especially when you think about uh, as somebody who's helped to put BRGs together is realizing how we set them up to begin with. And I think those that are just starting out, there's an opportunity to set them up better, you know, and, and sort of get them on the road to the right road. So I think there are times where I think it's important that you have people in leadership roles that are good leaders, that, you, that are collaborative 
So there's, you know, we've become much more explicit in our criteria for who could be BRG leaders, for who could be BRG mentors, you know, all from learning, you know, <laughs> sort of like what, what is it going to, what do we require of our, of our leaders and folks that are participating? Also, you have to think about what's in it for them. You have to make it so that a person wants to do that role and, and they see it as a value add to them in their career. So you have to, I would suggest that you do work very closely with the talent management team as you're thinking about mapping out BRGs and how can that be a big piece of, you know, making sure that it's a part of talent development and it's seen as such. My goal is that our BRGs are seen as incubators for talent and that, you know, that's people who go, oh, that person is on the BRG, I want them, you know, and, and so that, that's the, st we're striving for that. And I think you can only do that working in partnership with leaders and with, with your talent group and, and so that you could set it up the right way or check and adjust as we say at Mass Mutual is checking and adjusting and making sure that we're moving in that direction. It's a great note to close on. Mm -hmm. Lori, thank you for joining me today. It was really a pleasure talking to you. And I think that a lot of the things that you share today are really going to be of value to all the people who listen to our podcast. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to ERG Power Talk. If you enjoyed and got value out of this program, please like us and leave a favorable review at your podcast provider's site. Also, invite others to listen to the show. I'm Joe Santana, and thanks again for tuning in.